0: Last week we talked about how it kind of all boils down to our attitude toward correction itself, which is either we can love it or we can hate it. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, who are looking to become better, uh, as Joel prayed, image bearers in our world, uh, we ought to have the perspective of loving correction, of pursuing it, of honestly wanting to be corrected which is radical, and I understand that. But we should be looking for it in any circumstance we find ourselves in. And we shouldn't be caring so much as to who is saying it, but rather as to what is being said. And we shouldn't really um, be only willing to receive correction in the hardest moments of life, but we should be eager to respond to receive correction in any season of life, the ups and downs. So that's what we talked about last week. And so this week, we're going to continue, um, this sort of mini series within a mini series, uh, because we're going to continue looking at correction, which is like a mini series in the larger series of Proverbs, okay? Um, and, and instead of how do rec- we receive it, this week we're going to look at how do we give it, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I, I say that tongue in cheek, because giving correction isn't a lot of fun. Well, not usually it shouldn't be um and so this morning uh we're going to uh yeah look at basically how how do we give it and uh, so last week we we looked at how do we give it or or how how do we receive it or rather how do we perceive correction so that we can receive it and this week we're going to look at well how do we give it and so uh it's going to be a bit of a challenging one but that's that's okay now Surprisingly, when I was going through this and trying to, uh, to find proverbs that would align to what I wanted to speak with, about how to give correction, there weren't a lot of prescriptive proverbs. There weren't a lot of proverbs that talked about how do we give correction. I guess in my mind, I was, you know, thinking of proverbs that would be something like, um, you know, be gentle when you're showing correction, and they will listen. Be a jerk and you will come to ruin, or something like that. Or the friend who is passive-aggressive in showing correction will be aggressively passed by his true friends. Or something. But those kind of passages aren't in Scripture. It sounds like it should be, though, right? Yeah. Uh, but that that's not actually in the Bible. <laughs> there are no clear instructions, believe it or not, well, there are not very many anyway, about how to give, which I find kind of interesting because if you think about it, there's clear instruction on lots of other things in Scripture. If you want to gain wisdom, there's instruction on how to gain wisdom in Proverbs. If you want to become a better friend, there's instruction on how to become a better friend. If you want to know how much honey to eat, well, there's even instruction on how much honey you should eat. 25 verse 16 says, if you find honey, eat just enough. That's how much. Because too much of it and you will vomit. Right. So there are Proverbs that tell us how to do a lot of things, but oddly, there's not a lot that tell us how to give correction to each other. And so even though there isn't a very prescriptive method, I think that this book of Proverbs still has a lot for us to think about as we're considering giving correction to other people. And that's the first thing we need to talk about is why on earth should we be offering correction to other people anyway, right? There are a few reasons, depending on your role. Well, if you're a parent, there is actually a, a, a proverb, or a number of them, that, that speak about your responsibility to offer correction and discipline to your children. 1324 says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a the rod, they will not die. Correct your ch- children. Ensure that the values that God has given are passed on to the next generation. And I don't want to talk about the second half of this, the, or, or using a rod. If you've ever been to Chris's seminars on parenting, you'll know that he um, exposes that for what it is. But I don't want to talk about that controversial thing. But the point of the verse is, we are told from Scripture to discipline our children. That's a role that we can play. We correct our children because we have authority over them, don't we? Right? We have a responsibility to ensure that they become better people in this world who are going to contribute positively to society. We instruct our children because we want them to be image bearers of Christ. We want them to know God. We want them to know that the values that, uh, that God has given us to pass them on to them. That's why we do that. But if we were to take that same role that we have as parents and we applied it to everyone else we knew, I think we'd notice that our, our groups of friends would suddenly, suddenly start shrinking little by little. Suddenly people would stop wanting to be your friend. They'd be like, oh, here comes Steve again, ready to offer some more correction on what I'm doing wrong with my life. Great. You know, we don't get too excited about that when we see that willingness to show correction in other people. It's like those, uh, those spelling and grammar Nazis who are online, and they are willing to pounce on you every time you put a little apostrophe in you are. when you go, you who knows what I'm talking about? Right? We look at that and we roll our eyes. or there and they are. And they're like, oh, you use the wrong there. Man, I'm going to get you. We don't like those kind of people in real life. Right? Those kind of people are really annoying. And so if we went around doing that in actual life, I mean, the online world isn't real life. We know that. But if we actually went around and did that in real life, we wouldn't have a lot of friends, would we? But that's kind of what our culture says, that's kind of what the world says, that's kind of even what our common sense is, but what if that's not the way it's supposed to be? What if there were a way that would allow us to offer correction without being a tool about it, without being annoying, right? What if there were a way to offer correction without being annoying, but at the same time um, offering something that could legitimately help each other? And, and so much so that even when we actually do come around people appreciate us and they don't roll their eyes at us and think oh brother here we go again right what if offering correction to others was actually embraced the people look forward to having you around because it made them a better person and it sounds crazy because everything in our world says the opposite everything that we know about how we respond to correction that says, no, no, that's not the way it is. But I think this is actually what Proverbs incites us to do, to not be afraid of offering correction, which is kind of interesting. So let's ask why. Well, last week we looked at, again, Proverbs that teaches us that we need to love correction, have a posture toward correction that kind of embraces it, that says, um, yeah, I'm willing to learn. I'm eager to learn. If you have something to say to me, I want to know what it is. And I want to be going on my way, whether it's through individuals, through relationships, through the Bible, through society, whatever it is, I want to become a better person, to be willing to receive correction. If the Bible, the Proverbs teaches us, and we looked at this last week, that this is the posture we are to have toward correction. So if we actually love correction, then we would have a very different perspective on others correcting us, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be caught up with who is saying what, because we would be excited about how we might become better people now when I say that some of us in this room are are doing this right now can you put that picture up Michael just missed the moment just wasn't there this this kid is like yes let's do this sweet the pulpit uh, or Stephen's given us permission from the pulpit to go out and correct everyone we know awesome you know after church I'm gonna let it rip I'm gonna go to everyone I know and I'm gonna offer a thing or two about what is wrong with them and what needs to be corrected. That's what that kid's saying. <laughs> Let's do this. Well, not so fast, because there are a few things we need to think about uh, that ought to slow us down from going nuts and telling everyone what is wrong with them. And I want to take a look at Proverbs 10, verse 17 first. This is what 10:17 says. Whoever heeds discipline... <laughs> Can you fix that? Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Let's see what we're saying here. If you listen to correction, if you're willing to be corrected, you can show others the way of life. But if you ignore correction, if you have a stance that says, I hate correction, I hate being corrected, and you're not willing yourself to be corrected, then when you go out and you start correcting other people, the Bible says, "You lead them astray." So again, talking about what we talked about last week, we need to have this willingness to be corrected ourselves, and we need to do this before we can start showing correction to others. This is not so easy, and it should cause every one of us to pause considerably before we go out and start offering correction left and right. If if you're not able to receive correction yourself, if you're not able to embrace it, if you're not able to um, you know, accept it when it's presented to you, then maybe you shouldn't be going out offering correction to other people so quickly. And that's our first kind of little gotcha. But if you do love correction, then I also don't think you're going to be going out offering correction everywhere because you also have wisdom. If you love correction, then you probably have wisdom, and wisdom would dictate that going around telling everyone what's wrong with them is not very wise. It's not very productive. It doesn't do a lot of good. It does more harm than good, doesn't it? So either way, you're not going around telling everyone what's wrong with them. Let's just say that. And we spoke about this virtue that parents of highly effective kids have last week. We said um, it is their willingness to be vulnerable. In other words, when they're disciplining their children, when, when parents are showing correction um, to their kids, they're mindful of their own willingness to receive correction. They're mindful of their own willingness, their own relationship with discipline. How well are they at responding to discipline? And it changes how we interact with our children. Being vulnerable with our kids is something that in any situation is usually a good idea. I think. I mean, I haven't been a parent for long, but I know that in my experience as a parent, it's always been Better to be vulnerable than to put up a wall and, or to, uh, to, to uh, yeah, put up a wall and say no. I'm perfect. You're the one who needs to fix yourself. Let's get this straight. Being vulnerable, having that kind of willingness to um, be corrected yourself. When I think of vulnerability, I think of um, animals like dogs when they're play fighting they will, you'll watch them, they'll jump all over each other and stuff, and they'll fight each other into submission, and then when the one dog is on top of the other one, the other dog's neck is exposed. And I guess in the wild, I mean, I'm not a zoologist but I guess in the wild, what would happen is the the animal would expose the neck, and then the other one would swipe in for the kill, right? And so the idea is, uh, and I I suppose this is where we get the saying, put your neck out there for someone. Because when you're vulnerable, when you're willing to put your own neck out there, you're willing to say, listen, I know I don't have it all together. I know I have these issues that I have to deal with. I know I have to work on this and that. Um, And here's my neck. If you want to swipe at me, now's your chance. But here's what I want to say to you. This issue, whatever it is we need to talk about, needs to be said having that kind of posture toward offering correction to others is going to go far further than being the guy who says, uh, or, you know, who never shows that he's got any faults. The guy who walks around and acts like he's never made a mistake in his life and he's willing to go and offer correction, the drop of a dime, because everyone else in the world needs correction, but he doesn't. And so that guy, when he goes around and he says, hey, listen, you need to work on this and this, it's not going to be as well received, is it? As the guy who's like, listen, I have these issues, and I'm aware of that, and I'm working on it, but here's what I felt I needed to say to you about this issue. So, one of the important things is, I guess, having this attitude of vulnerability when we offer correction. But for most of us, our default position is actually not to give correction. We'd rather just kind of sit back and do our own thing. We think, you know, it's too awkward. Things are going to get messy. Uh, If I offer this guy something, then it's going to make me look like I'm full of myself, and I'm better than him, and I'm not, but I don't want to give that impression. And, uh, you know, we get along as is right now. Why would I want to, you know, muddy the waters at all? Let's just leave things the way they are, and -and so-and-so will be okay. Right? That's kind of how most of us respond to, you know, when we are prompted to give correction in in our minds. In our conversation with God, we're like, God, it's not worth it. And uh, I was listening to Bruxy Cavey this week, um, who's a popular pastor at this church. Everyone listens to him. And so I've been getting into him the last uh, couple of months or so. I've really enjoyed his message. And he was speaking about um, the golden rule in Matthew 7:12, And this is what he says, so in everything do to others, this is what Jesus says, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this, sum- for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, you know what's interesting about this um, rule, this golden rule spoken by Jesus, is that, well, let let me read to you what every other religious system and philosophical system has to say about it. They all basically have their own kind of wording. In Hinduism, it says, this is the sum of duty. Do not to others which have done to thee would cause thee pain. In Buddhism, it says, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. In Judaism, it says, What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. And in the Baha'i Faith, it says, he should not wish for others that which that which he doth not wish for himself, nor promise that which he doth not fulfill. So do you notice the difference between each of these systems, each of these worldviews, and what Jesus says? Jesus frames the golden rule in positive terms. He says, Do unto others what you would have them do unto you, whereas everyone else is like, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. In other words, the message of Jesus requires you to do something favorable to others, to go out of your way for others, to actually help others in whatever situation they're in, whatever circumstance they're in. Don't hurt other people, says the other system. Don't be mean. Don't do bad things. Don't be a jerk. For Jesus, show kindness. Go and do this. Be truthful. Be honest. Offer correction. Don't just sit back and let it it be as is, right? A lot of us tend to, when we hear about someone else's sins or the destructive behavior, we kind of turn away and we think, oh, let's just mind our own business. This is more or less what... Um, our society says is the morally right thing to do. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll, you know, we'll just get along. And look how wonderful that philosophy has been working in our world so far. I mean, what a happy, amazing world we live in, don't we? Right? No, because it doesn't work. This idea of don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, doesn't really work in practice. And so we know that it's going to be hard to confront someone on whatever issue that they might have. And and it's not going to be easy. Um, And so we think, well, what's the point? I'm not the one who should be doing this. You know, they're not harming anyone else but themselves. You know, we we can basically coexist and we're fine. We don't have to challenge each other on these issues. But Jesus is actually inciting us in, the, in this in this um, golden rule, in this challenge. He's, he's saying, no, no, no. It's not about not doing something. It's about when you see a problem, going out there and offering what you can to fix it. So when you see a brother stumbling, when you see a sister faltering or, or whatever, going out there and actually offering them correction. That's hard. And rebuking, of course, is never easy. And it shouldn't be easy. In fact, the first sign as to whether or not you should or shouldn't give rebuke is how you respond to it. If there's an issue that needs to be taken care of and it's been consuming you all week because you are so happy to go to this person and just let it rip and let them have it, and you know, you're just full of glee at the very thought of chewing this person out, chances are you shouldn't be offering correction to that person. Okay? Just a hunch. You are not in the right frame of mind to be offering correction because your motives aren't pure. But rebuking is never easy and this is what Proverbs 28:23 says. 28:23 says whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. The message version says in the end serious reprimand is appreciated far more than bootlicking flattery. Another word for bootlicking flattery Butt kissing, right? In the end, even though a rebuke is tough and the immediate repercussions can be really difficult, the truth is that a rebuke or a corrective word towards someone will be more beneficial than not saying anything, than just pretending everything's okay or simply sugarcoating it, right? The situa- you know, sugarcoating situation and pretending that there's no real issue going on here. Pretending we don't need to say anything, that's, that's actually the worst. That does more harm than good, because then you just continue on in your destructive ways, thinking that the world around you is cool with it. In the context of our relationships and our friendships, accepting correction is appreciated much easier than from those we don't relate to. We spoke of this last week, in fact. When we love correction, we go out of our way to search out people, to find a mentor, someone who is a close friend, who we can actually be challenged by because we want to be, right? We want to learn. So when we read that a rebuke in the end will be far more appreciated than a flattering tongue than someone who just says what you want them to say, anyone who has ever experienced a true friendship with someone who has had the courage to tell them face-to-face what might need to change about them knows instinctively that this is true, knows instinctively that a friend like that is far more valuable than someone who just tells you what you need to hear, what you want to hear. There's a far deeper dimension in that relationship between those people whose faults are readily shared and not just glossed over. In fact, any relationship of trust needs to have space for rebuke. Any relationship of trust needs to have space for rebuke, for calling each other on stuff. There there really can't be much of an authentic relationship if you're never willing to call each other on their issues, on their stuff, on their craft, if I can say that. It becomes more of a relationship of tolerance rather than a, a deep and intentional relationship. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In other words, we should be challenging, we should be correcting, we should be rebuking each other in love where appropriate as we build each other up, as we sharpen each other. Notice also that in 2823, and this is important, it says, in the end, they will gain favor. Well, this is true if you've ever given or received a rebuke from someone that you trust. It's not immediately beneficial. It doesn't bring a a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings into your heart right away. Because that's not how humans work. Um, Rhonda is a pretty close friend of mine. I've actually married her. She knows me better than most people. She knows my strengths, and she definitely knows my weaknesses and my faults. And I hate that she comes from a super intelligent family. I mean it, because when I got married, I had no idea. Um, And and very, very logical. Very logical. They are just annoying, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And usually, I'm fairly logical. But when I get argumentative or I get emotional, which, if you've ever heard me speak, happens like rarely. Just kidding, I get emotional all the time. So you know that often when that happens, I get very illogical. And I start just defaulting to silliness. (laughs) Um, Well, Rhonda's the one who then comes in riding on kind of like the pony of logic to set me straight. Um, And so uh, she's able to call me on stuff. Call me on how maybe i've acted poorly in this situation or i was too critical of that guy or or um, you know i need to be more compassionate or whatever and, and she's able to kind of like look deep into my soul and tell me what needs to be corrected that's the power of a spouse but do you think that i'm able to receive that hardly hardly ever in the moment in, and some of these are better than others but but often usually I put walls up. I give some illogical retort that I know in my heart is completely nonsensical. But Rhonda, in her grace, forgives me for that. And she just puts it up. And so after nine years of marriage, she now is able to understand, like, okay, I'm going to challenge Stephen on this, and I'm going to expect that he's going to put up a wall. He's going to make some silly argument as to why he's right, and then we're going to continue on. But then eventually, I turn around and I say, okay, it might be a couple days later. Sometimes, um, but eventually, I'm able to say, you know what, Rhonda, you were right about this issue that I need to have corrected in my life. Um, and usually, it's about my character. Usually, it's pretty serious stuff. But sometimes, it's 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 not so serious. I remember when we were dating. This is years ago. Um, we were out for dinner one night, and we got into a conversation. And I said the word crass, and I said crasp, because in my mind. For some inexplicable reason, I've always added a P to the end of the word crass. It doesn't make any sense. I know that now. But at the time, I was not so aware of that. And so my wife, at the time my girlfriend, says, "Uh, excuse me, what did you just say? And I said, no, crass, blah, 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 blah. Did you add a P at the end of that? Yeah. Yeah. And so it began this conversation, this argument back and forth over dinner as to what is the correct pronunciation. So bad that we actually had to go to uh, the stranger sitting next to us and ask for clarification because we didn't have an iPhone in those days where we could, uh, you know, Google how to say the word crass. And so they said to us, uh, oh no, it's, it's crass, it's two S's at the end. And I said, are you kidding me? These guys are wrong too. Everyone is wrong. How do you guys not understand how to say this word? Well. It took me some time but I began realizing okay maybe I've been wrong on this all along. Uh and it took me a few days but I was eventually able to get to the point where I admitted to Rona, yeah. I I I should have been saying crass all along. Forgive me. You know, but she knows that in the end as proverbs says, every single time I come around and I thank her for calling me on this stuff, every time. And that's important to do. Whether it's something with my character or the way I say word drunk it's never easy with bullheaded guys like me. And I'm sure most of us have some tendency that's similar to that. But we don't respond to correction very well because it isn't natural. Because when we do, when we are challenged on something, we have to find ways of saving face. We have to find ways of preserving our ego. And so we do that in the moment. Give it enough time, and in the end, the a favorable outcome. And I'll just close here. at Proverbs 979. 9. Now, again, Proverbs isn't very detailed about how to give correction, but it does seem to talk a little bit about who we should be giving correction to. And this is the last uh, passage we're going to look at. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. Well, if you correct a mocker, if you offer correction to a mocker, Someone who lacks the maturity, someone who lacks discernment in understanding where your correction might be coming from—they're going to insult you. That's what Proverbs says. They're going to make fun of you, and uh, they're going to tell jokes. They're going to find ways of dodging whatever pointed thing you want to say to them. They're going to do that. So Proverbs says, be aware of that. Mockers, people who don't have the maturity, people who aren't ready to receive that correction—they're going to be—they're wi- going to be there, and they're going to be willing to give you a joke, they're going to be willing to turn around and insult you. Proverbs says that's what happens when you offer correction to a mocker. Then it also says if you offer correction to someone who is wicked, someone who is evil, someone who is bent on being just a terrible person, then get prepared for abuse, because you're going to also suffer abuse. It could be physical, mental, psychological, whatever. But the Proverbs says it's going to happen with someone who is not willing to change if there is an unwillingness to change, then they are going to abuse you. Because it's all about preserving ego, isn't it? It's all about not looking like an idiot. And so if, you're, if their back is against the wall, you've cornered them, and you're making a point that needs to happen in their life, something that needs to be changed in their life, and they're saying in their mind, the only thing between me and preserving my ego is you, then get ready for it. You're going to get hurt. They're going to throw something at you, probably not physically, but probably something about your own character. Because that's what happens. And so Proverbs says, be ready for that. And then he says, well, what kind of people should we be offering correction to? If wicked people are going to respond that way with abuse, if mockers are going to respond this way with jokes and, and making fun of us, how should we do it? Well, Proverbs says, offer, instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. So teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. Those who are wise, those who are righteous, they already have a love of being corrected. They already are leaning into correction and looking forward in their lives. So the Bible says, offer correction to them. Don't waste your time on those who are immature, who are not ready for it. Spend your time, learning, or spend your time offering correction to those who are already willing to be corrected. Those who are already full of wisdom. Those who are already righteous, they're a lot easier to deal with. Well, I'm over time, and uh, so I'm going to close this morning, and uh, uh, Julie can come up and, and sing. But uh, I hope that some of the thoughts we shared this morning about how to offer correction, who do we offer correction to, what should our disposition be about offering correction? that that would encourage us and inspire us. I don't want you, I don't think any of us want you to go out of here and just start your friends down with things that is wrong with them. But, on the other hand, I also don't want us to be ignoring the fact that we are called to correct each other, to call each other on stuff. That's how we grow as individuals, that's how we grow as a body. So, let's pray, and then I'll um, I'll let Joel and, uh, and Matt close off in the song. Father, we give you thanks for your word and how it challenges us and how, uh, Lord, we need it in our lives. We need to be reading it and to be looking at it and learning from it. And Lord, this morning as we look at how to give correction, I pray, God, that you would uh, speak to each of us, that your spirit would empower us where we need to be empowered in this area. And Lord, if it's receiving correction, as we spoke about last week, as we spoke about this morning, that you would also empower us to receive um, from whoever. that you give us grace and mercy. And Lord, that we would um, have the maturity and, and the posture toward correction of loving and embracing it so that we can learn and become better uh, image bearers of you. In your son's name we pray.